You are listening to episode number 11 of The Love Noteworthy Show. Welcome to The Love Noteworthy Show, the guide to leading your life with passion, purpose, perspective, and prosperity. Each week, we feature entrepreneurs, influencers, game changers, and change makers who provide powerful strategies for creating a remarkable first impression that leaves a lasting impact in your business, brand, and life. So come join us as we transform your mindset and teach you the lessons that you want and need to become Love Noteworthy. Welcome back, lovers, to another episode of the Love Noteworthy Show. I really want to apologize because this episode was supposed to go out a few days ago now, and the reason why it didn't was because I decided to do a rebrand, redesign, and refresh of resims.com, and it looks so much more clean, beautiful, and just intuitive. So please check it out. It's www.resims.com. Let me know your thoughts. Do you like it? Do you not? Um, all of the show notes from the podcast are still on there, so you can definitely view all of those as well. But today's episode is all about shifting insecurity to vulnerability, and there's a huge difference between the two, which we talk about today with our guest, who is Samantha Skelly, and she is an absolutely amazing health and life coach that works with clients that are recovering from disordered eating. And we dive really deep into this topic today and provide you some really great strategies. But before we go into the episode, I wanted to show a little bit of vulnerability by doing something that a couple of my friends have been bugging me to do on air forever. So their names are Olivia and Michael. So shout outs to you too. I love you too. You're amazing. And they really want me to sing. And so to be vulnerable, I put out uh, a call to see what song I should sing. And one of my friends, Alice, suggested that I do something by Sam Smith. So before we start this episode, here's just like a 45 second clip of me singing. And you can let me know your thoughts in the comments uh, below the show notes at resims.com slash 11. But yeah, here it is. Check it out. Here we go. that little tidbit if not that's cool too it's an acquired taste just like wine so let's dive into this episode which is episode number 11 how to shift your insecurities into vulnerabilities with samantha scale Welcome back, everybody, to the Love Noteworthy Show. I'm your host, Reese, and I have a very important question for you today. Do you believe that if you can change your health, you can change your life? Well, today we're going to be talking about this with a very exceptional life coach who's going to be 
talking all about how we can change our health and lives and also really focusing on a super important topic, which is a vulnerability. I know it's scary out there, guys. So without further ado, I am so pleased to introduce all of you to Samantha Skelly. She is one of my awesome close girlfriends. I'm so excited. Welcome, Sam. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Reese. This is so exciting. This is long overdue, I feel. I feel like we've been uh, meaning to do this for ages now, so thank you. No, thank you, my dear. <laughs> okay, yeah. so for uh, the listeners that don't know, I'm going to give you a little rundown of Sam. Sam is an entrepreneur who aims to empower and inspire women and men worldwide to reach new peaks and achieve personal greatness through health and fitness. Samantha was awarded the top 24 under 24 in September 2013 and is focused on pushing massive boundaries and making a difference through health and fitness coaching. At the age of 21, she started her first company in London, England. This fitness company was a mobile personal training company, training some of England's top executives. And then she sold that company at the age of 24 and decided to move back to her hometown of Vancouver, Canada, which is where we met and kind of fell in love at first sight, I would say. <laughs> but <laughs> we can talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, Sam, for the audience, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background, um, which I just explained, and how you decided to get into life coaching. Alrighty. So uh, as you were saying, I've been a personal trainer for about six years now and started my first company um, when I was living in England. Totally fell in love with the health and fitness industry, being a dancer has sort of always been ingrained in me to be physically active, you know, um, help people be physically active. And I was just got, um, I was really amped on the whole, on the whole industry. So naturally, um, just having a little bit of an entrepreneurial started my first mobile personal training company, which was so much fun. So we would go to our clients' houses and gyms and parks and everything and, um, train them in their own space. So Really, really awesome experience. And the personal training client relationship is really unique because they they open up to you about not just their health and fitness, but the entire life, your entire life. Because health and fitness has the better your health and fitness is, that it very much translates into your relationships and your career and, and everything else. So you really get a good insight of um, what really is going on, you know, underneath just like that one session you do with them a week. But what we used to talk about is a lot of my clients, men and women, used to talk to me about um, just their relationships with food and how it was extremely dysfunctional. And they, they turned to food in times of, you know, if they were upset or they were angry or they had um, a fight with their boyfriend. And obviously those are signs of emotional eating and disordered eating. Um, and growing up as a dancer, I, I was completely exposed to that whole world for mm -hmm. years and years and years, um, you know, so many ballerinas from eating disorders, and I never quite um, growing up. So when I was older, I was like quite fascinated by it. So I went back to school and I took my life coaching courses and I took some psychology uh, classes for years. Um, it kind of really developed a path in people. Um, get through these disorders. Um, a very dear close friend of mine also suffered from an eating disorder from the age of 12. She was in and out of the hospital and that really affected me. And, um, it was extremely sad to see her go through that. So that's where the passion started was just through, um, my career as a personal trainer. Yeah. That must be so challenging too, because it's like, you feel almost helpless to not be able to assist them or support them when they're going mm -hmm. in Absolutely. and out. Absolutely. So, it's, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah. It's a, men, it's a mental health, um, I mean, when, when it kind of crosses 
there's there's different sort of levels of it, but it can become quite a serious mental health issue once you get to you know the anorexic and bulimic side of things. So. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so sort of on that note of just like being like body conscious and that sort of thing, um, you recently did your first fitness competition this year. Um, and tell us about your mindset, like why you wanted to do it, what your the process was while you were spending the like six months to train for it and all of the discipline. What were the biggest lessons that you learned during the process? So our society favors, you know, skinny girls. The kind of screwed up way we were accustomed to. Um, we are kind of ingrained with this notion that if you are skinnier, you'll be happier and you will have this fruitful, amazing life. And I, I just wanted to go through that process of actually getting to my smallest size just to see if it is congruent with my happiness. And during the process, in the back of my mind, I was very cautious not to get my head to wrap up in it and I had yeah. to really check with what am I doing why am I doing this and my motivation for doing it was to prove to other people that the size of your body does is does not dictate your happiness whatsoever mm-hmm. at all you have to find that happiness from an internal source it's, it's an inward outward job rather than let's get skinny then I'll be happy that is um but unfortunately that is what you know media tells us and, and just very various very, people are Basically, that's just like the message that young girls and 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 women get um, yeah. on a day to day. So, I went through that process just to prove to people and prove, you know, to myself, to my clients, to those around me that um, there's there is another way. Yeah. So one of the things that like I think a lot of people don't know is that when people are doing these fitness competitions, they'll cut like a crap load of weight like in the seventy two hours prior to the actual competition, right? Like, they get the spray tans on, they start stop drinking water so you can, like, dehydrate. And so, mm-hmm. can you, like, tell us a little bit about that? Like, I know when I had been talking to you before, you were like, oh, yeah, I pretty much gained, like, 10 or 15 pounds, like, a week after because you're, like, oh, dehydrating oh yourself. It wasn't, it wasn't even a week. It was, like, I could literally look down and see my body expanding as I was putting chocolate almonds in my mouth. Like, it was <laughs> It was ridiculous. Like honestly, I after I got off stage, I was like, "Oh, thank God that's that's over." And I like literally ran backstage. I had a packet, a pack of nibs in one hand and a pack of chocolate almonds in the other, and I just like started like throwing them in my mouth. Like, oh my goodness, like this is like so good, right? But it's interesting because as I was going through those actions, that is the same behavior that emotional eaters go through, right? Mm-hmm. They deprive, 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 deprive. Then they binge eat and mm-hmm. gain everything else back and more. And that's what I did. I, I, I gained everything else back and more. And I'm still going through the process of getting back to my like natural, like it's called a set point weight where it's like the natural weight your body should be at. And like though that competition really like I mentally, I was, I was aware of what was happening and I wasn't letting myself get down that route of being like obsessed but physically, my body was like, what the hell are you doing right now? Like, yeah. what is going on? And like I said, I, I got backstage and I just ate a bunch. I drank a bunch of water. And I was like, okay, I'm like pretty much back to like where I started. Because you drop your water weight considerably. Like, yeah. you don't drink you don't drink water. So you do, you do get extremely dehydrated. And your body just goes like, mm-hmm. I'm going to give it. Uh, um, it just like sucks everything in. And um, 
you, you know, your abs come out, your, all your muscle definition comes out, but that's not sustainable, nor is that healthy. So what I look like on stage is like, I will never look like that again. And I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like freaking away or it's just like so disproportionate to what people actually look like because I know like quite a few people that have done fitness competitions and just yeah seeing them like 24 hours afterwards I'm like oh like you're hydrated and just look completely different than you did on stage like a day ago this is bizarre yeah and it's sad because like we only see those photos of people on stage mm-hmm. that were like oh my goodness they did this fitness competition they look so good now they're gonna look like that for the rest of their lives you know it's like no like it's not the case whatsoever and I think um it can be it can be a breeding ground for eating disorders yeah. because girls go to these competitions, you know, they feel pretty hot on days and they're like, Wow, this is a fantastic body, I want this and then when the then when they, you know, drop their diet and they gain weight, they're like, Oh god, I'm feel disgusting. Um, I need to do another one. So it becomes like a vicious cycle of like you're on you're on prep season, you're off prep season and then you blow up and it's like they they need to learn how to break that cycle and I'm not speaking for everyone there's a lot of people who are like really conscious and really aware of what's happening and they're doing it because there is a love for it and Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. that's a fantastic thing and they're doing it for you know because they genuinely feel happy but on the other side things they it can you know mask an eating disorder which is um which I understand so yeah for sure for sure so I know like you do focus on disordered eating Um, and I don't want to talk about that too much today. Like maybe we can have you on for another episode to get into that more. But what I was hoping we could talk about today, um, is, uh, a topic that kind of came up in one of the past interviews that I did recently. And that was with Brandy Sweezy. Um, and we were just talking about, um, I don't know, whatever, like our purpose in life and that sort of stuff. And one thing that came up was that, um, it's really important that people, as soon as you can shift kind of like your insecurity to vulnerability, that's when you're really going to thrive. And so I know that like vulnerability typically has, I don't know, sometimes like a negative connotation to it, but why don't we dive in and talk a little bit about like insecurity versus vulnerability. So can you talk maybe or tell us a bit about like what the, what the difference is between the two? You bet. Um, I love this topic by the way. So Mm -hmm. thank you for seeing this. Uh, being vulnerable, being vulnerable is about loving your insecurities. So you have to recognize your insecurities. You have to recognize your weaknesses and you have to be totally okay and cool with them and use it to your advantage. People love vulnerability. I know when you're like scrolling through your Facebook and it's like the same sort of shit of like highlight reel, highlight reel, highlight reel. And then someone like, that are like, this happened and they just put themselves out there in such like a raw authentic way mm-hmm. you're almost like ah oh, thank god someone's actually a real person and like that's awesome and I appreciate that so much I know there's some brilliant people on my Facebook feed that totally put themselves out there um but vulnerability like anything like a bicep it's a muscle that you need to keep constantly working at um you can't wake up one day and be like okay I'm now gonna be a vulnerable person um it, yeah it's like it's scary we like we're scared of rejection, and so we, like, wear that, like, armor, and we're like, no, I'm not going to let any, I don't want the world to know that I'm, you know, I'm maybe sometimes depressed, or I'm, you know, really insecure about, um, uh, like, dating this person, or whatever that 
insecurity is, whatever that is, we like to sort of like mask that and hide that with like an armor because we're so shit scared of rejection. Um, but I think in order to grow that vulnerability muscle, you have to be okay with rejection. You have to be, the further you put yourself out there, make yourself more of a target. And I know like, a lot of entrepreneurs can kind of, um, you know, this resonates with them. Um, people don't, people like normality. They like, like to have everyone kind of in unison a lot of times. But someone's out there, they're like, oh, they're putting themselves out there. It's natural for me to go take it dig at them. So being, being vulnerable just does take a lot of practice. And you have to be totally okay with your insecurities that no matter what anyone says to you, it'll roll off your back. And that is such a skill. That is such a character skill that needs to be practice. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it all goes back to like, we were talking a little bit before about the media and just like its portrayal of women and their size and stuff. And it's just like, we're very much so with the media, like everywhere and every anywhere. And you're just like constantly bombarded by advertisements and like, subconscious messaging and stuff like that. Like, we're very much so in like a perfectionist culture, I would say and that everybody like, I don't know, it's just we have we have to be like, perfect in all regards, like in business and life and how we look. And so being vulnerable really is opposing that. And so it makes us uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And being a perfectionist is one of the most debilitating um, traits you can ever have. And I didn't realize I was one until I was with my business coach or life coach who I work with. And um, he just like pointed out to me how much of a perfectionist I actually was. And I, I guess I still am to a certain degree, but I've kind of learned to, um, I guess I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> That's what um, I like to say too. I remember I would, I would like, I used to have all these like great ideas. Like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. And he's like, well, why aren't you doing it? I'm like, cause it's not perfect yet. Like, I don't want to put something out there that's not perfect. Yeah. And that helped held me back like that like totally held me back from my dreams and what I wanted to achieve and my purpose and what I was really pushing for um so now I'm like okay you know what it's not perfect it's never like what is perfect at the end of the day there's no such thing as perfect it's like this thing we make up in our heads right yeah, it's all subjective um like when, when people say oh they're the perfect couple no they're not there's no such thing as perfect right anyway yeah. um but being a perfectionist really really holds you back in so many ways um and it's, it's, it was really interesting. It was kind of like a slap in the face for me for him to be like, oh, no, you are a perfectionist. I thought the word perfectionist is like something that people just use in like, you know, interviews when they're getting a job to like mm-hmm. make themselves stand mm-hmm. out. I didn't realize that I actually had a few perfectionist qualities. But um, it just comes down to being a perfectionist comes down to self-judgment and being self-critical. So the more we practice self-compassion, self-love, um, the more we kind of step out of that, that circle of being a perfectionist. So. So do you have any strategies for how people can kind of practice this self-love or self-passion and focus on themselves? Like, I think a lot of times we get too caught up in people-pleasing everybody else and just, like, feel guilty about spending time working on ourselves. Absolutely. I think, like, growing up, um, I was, like, the biggest people-pleaser, and my friends can all attest to this. Like, I I never want to say no to anyone. I never wanted to disappoint anyone. I, and it was... It was actually like quite like damaging on my happiness because I was so concerned with um, making sure everyone was cool with what I did that yeah 
I wasn't cool with what I was doing. And that in itself is pretty damaging and it's quite limiting um, as far as trying to develop your happiness. So negative self-talk and, and just being hard on yourself is, is something we do all the time. If you like actually bring awareness to internal conversation, there's some crazy shit going on in there. Like, I mean, I, I have to like stop myself and be like, no, no, no. Cause what we're telling ourselves, we're ingraining our, in our, our like conscious, like think of it as like a hard drive. So what you're telling yourself, why I really suck at, um, at writing, right. And we're like, you know, in hard drive, it's what it's just, we're just reinforcing that every time we go on and write, but it's, it's obviously not empowering whatsoever. So it's about taking when a negative thought pops in your head, it's about recognizing that it's in there and reversing it so I'm actually really good at writing or I am in the process of becoming an awesome writer so just like, even if you're like really bad at writing or whatever I'm just using writing as an example when that thought comes in your head quickly reverse it and and kind of program a new thought and a new um a new sentence into your head so then you're reinforcing a positive thought so but then when you go into, into when you go to write in your hard drive you're already telling yourself I'm in the process of becoming a really good writer. Does that, is that, that making sense here? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm just going to bounce. Like, I know I sent you some questions before the interview, but that just touches on a question, um, a bit later in the notes, but we can just bounce around here. Um, so how does, one of the things that I've been trying to be really cognizant of over the past year is just the power of language and the way in which we explain things. Because a lot of times things like maybe synonymous, but the tone and by which we say them or just like the actual meaning of them is completely different in the way we're subconsciously talking to not only ourselves, but to other people. So do you have any like other strategies for how you can minimize negative self-talk or just be more conscious of like what language you're using to communicate with people as well as yourself? Yeah, I think, like, one of, it's, it's a really simple strategy, and it's a really, really beautiful tool that I use um, daily, by the minute, I should say. <laughs> um, if, if, if a thought pops into my head, I'll ask myself, would I say this to my best friend? So then I, say, then I think, would I go up to one of my best girlfriends and say this sentence? And if the answer is no, then why are you saying it to yourself? Right? We need to learn to become our lessons. Um that the notion of loving yourself like so extremely powerful and it's something that we're I don't know we don't really practice as a culture um as much as we should um so that is that is for me the it's such a simple strategy but it it really really does work for me and it helps to limit negative self-talk and just like anything the more you do the more you practice positive self-talk the more natural it becomes yeah so if you really screw up on something instead of saying oh my god I'm such a mess you say to yourself, oh, well, I didn't do that, right? But, you know, there's always next time. Just on that note, like, when you talk to people, like, one of your best friends and stuff, what are your thoughts on, like, if you are kind of making jokes at each other, making fun of each other and stuff, is that playful or, like, passive-aggressive? Like, should that never, should you never do that? I'm, like, personally, I'm probably one of the, like, I'm just, I love crashing jokes. I love laughing. I love, like... But it, you know what? It is actually, it's funny you ask this because um, I had this chat with, with a friend of mine the other day and you really have to read your audience and you really have to be careful of um, people's insecurities because if you crack a joke on someone's insecurity, you can really upset them. Like that can be really damaging for them. So yeah, yeah. Um, you just have to be aware. 
um, and read read your audience. And um, I now know so I can crack any joke, um, and they'll be totally cool with it. And then I have other friends like there's like no goes that films like don't don't talk about that. And um, so it's just being being there and um, just yeah, really reading your audience. Yeah, I feel like that's gotten me into trouble a couple times with like not even friends, but just like guys. Like I'll make a joke. And then they're like, <laughs> they take it the wrong way. And I'm like, yeah. oh, man. The problem, the, problem is, the problem is we don't know. We don't know where everyone came from, right? Yeah. We don't know what we're, what we're cracking a joke on. And, you know, it's something that I've gone to counseling for years and years and years to try and get over. And then we just, like, you know, opened up this, like, wound. And it's freaking bleeding. And we have no idea what, what just happened. So it's really, um, yeah, I, and you know what? That's going to happen. And, like, it's regard, that, that's just, that's going to happen. Like, people have done it to me. I've done it to people. Um, just being having the conversation to being like, you know what, you really pissed me off when you said that. And moving forward, um, quite a powerful thing to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, let's shift gears a bit and go back into talking about vulnerability. So how can people use vulnerability as a strength in their business as well as their lives? So with business, I feel like I resonate more with businesses when I know there's story, right? Whether it's a good story or a bad story, whatever it is. Um, so using your personal story in your business is one of the greatest strategies that someone taught me. So really putting yourself on the line and being like, this is why I do exactly what I can do. Um, being that, 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 that vulnerability, whatever it is, um, you know, you see, there's life coaches who have gone through, who, you know, have gone through like the worst of the other life coach and their purpose on earth is now to help people, you know, get through addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. Um, and people really resonate with that because we're not perfect. We're all broken. We, we all have stuff going on. We all yeah. have, you know, I mean, it's, it can be really damaging actually to our, um, our psyche when we go through Facebook and we just assume that everyone's life is just so perfect. And, um, it's, it's really, it'd be really interesting if we all just became vulnerable, just put up exactly what we are feeling. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I think as far as like a using vulnerability in your business is one of the greatest things. When I get the most interaction from, from the people that I aim to inspire is when I really put myself on the line and, um, just really be raw and authentic and just speak from the heart and like tell people exactly what I'm thinking. So, yeah. So can you enter or can you like be vulnerable in your business, but still be professional? Like, absolutely. Absolutely. I think like, um, the businesses that are the most vulnerable are the most successful. And I think something that we're still trying to get, get used to because there's this idea of like professionalism you have to make sure you you have your shit together all the time you have to make sure you know all your ducks are in a row mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff and that's just not the case at the end of the day we're all human beings and people people buy from people you know they they want to they want to do this with you because they, they genuinely like you as a person so it's no different than just being a friend to someone um you have to be the same in your business and a lot of the times we identify ourselves as you know ceo cf and, and we're trying to put on this this face. Well, at the end of the day, it's just one person dealing with another person. Just because you're like bought into this like high stress environment, you shouldn't have to change who you are. And a lot of people do, especially in the corporate world. Not so much in small businesses, I find definitely in the corporate world. Yeah, for sure. 
I know. I definitely think like with our generation, like the millennials, there's going to be a shift, I think, in corporate cultures quite drastically over the next couple of years as um, kind of the baby boomers fully retire out of the system. So it should be really interesting to see if um, us who appreciates like a lot more vulnerability as opposed to perfection um, will drastically change the environment and like the socio-political sphere in like western the western world and all of that kind of stuff but I think that's for another day <laughs> um, so let's talk both of us are pretty uh, extroverted people I would say and so let's talk about people that are a bit introverted um, and how that correlates with being like insecure or vulnerable um, I know I have a lot of friends that are considered like closed books and do you have any strategies on how they can kind of increase their openness so to speak and be more vulnerable like some people just have this like insane fear that if they open up and like let people know that they're not perfect or open up their walls then they're just it's going to be like worse than death like you know what yeah. I mean um it's thing um being introverts a really cool thing and our favorite being an extra we favor Oh, the person on stage being loud, being obnoxious, whatever yeah. it is. And I think there's such power in being an introvert. Um, Susan Cain writes a beautiful book, um, and it's called it's called Quiet. Mm. And it's um, the power of introverts in the world that can't stop talking. And it's, it's, it's an extremely brilliant book, and shows a different side of being um, being an introvert. And, yeah. Uh, a lot of introverts aim to be extroverts, and personally, I don't think they should. I think that they should accept that they're an introvert and work those work those um, like powers. I guess really be good at being an introvert um, because when you when they're an extrovert, it's really uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Just like an extrovert doesn't want to be an introvert; they don't want to be quiet. Yeah. Um, the time. Um, and into, being an introvert doesn't mean, you know, you're sitting at a party in the back of the room not speaking to anyone. It just means that when you're, when you're alone and you're, you're with your own thoughts, that's when, that's when you feel the most powerful. Mm -hmm. Whereas introverts, when they're out amongst people, that's when they feel the most powerful. And in the right way or a wrong way, I think it's just completely different, um, different ways of, of operating, I guess. Yeah, like somebody once described it to me as um, if you're an extrovert, you like become more fueled or like intake other people's energy. Whereas if you're introverted, then you'll, you're like expending your energy to entertain other people. So by the end of like a party, for example, like you're exhausted if you're introverted. But if you're an extrovert, you're like super pumped on life and like want to yeah, just like, yeah. I don't know, part, after party it up or something. <laughs> well, it's interesting. And I think, I, I honestly think people can be bang smack in the middle as well. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. I feel like I'm like, like that. Yeah, a lot of my friends are totally, totally, totally extroverts. Like like you said, life at the party, like every last drop, they are just like speaking to people and, and just cracking jokes. And, and I like, I love that, but I find... I love it for a very short time, and then I'm like, okay, I want to go home and read now, or whatever. It is. Like, I want to, I want to like go inside now. But then when I'm inside for too long, I like craving around people. So I, I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm very much in the middle. I think I'm more. I mean, if anyone, most of my friends would definitely classify me as an extreme extrovert. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
but um, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm slightly dabbling in the introvert, um, introverted traits as well. Mm, interesting. So um, maybe detaching introversion from being like a closed book, is there, do you have any strategies for people that are just like really like deathly afraid of kind of succumbing to being more open or like I said, vulnerable on what they can do? Like what are, what are some baby steps they could take to slowly become more vulnerable with like the people that are close to them and that sort of thing? I think you have to start with the people in your life that you're very close to. So your, your close friends and your close family and just like experiment slightly with like putting yourself out there in a very, very small way. And when you do that and realize that you have died, then you can do it on a larger scale. And like, and like, like, like I spoke about earlier, it's just, it's a muscle that just needs to be works. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe telling your close friends, um, you know what, I was really, I was really insecure when I did this presentation and, and um, getting together and, you know, just seeing how that goes and just, just like playing around with it and being a little bit playful with it. And I think, I think a lot of the times we take ourselves too seriously um, and, you know, adding a bit of humor and like being able to laugh at yourself is like really powerful. It's, it's mm-hmm. a good skill. Like, you know, so I, I do that quite a bit. I'm like, oh gosh, they're like, whatever. I just, it's, it's kind of fun to like when you screw up to like bring a little bit of lightness situation instead of like I said it's like oh I'm idiot just being like oh like whatever just laugh at yourself and be a, be a little bit goofy with it and I think um just taking yourself so seriously and um I don't know that, that really does work for me oh man that totally oh, man. just gave me a flashback to La Jola <laughs> <laughs> exactly. what is La Jola <laughs> I, I do that stuff all the time. Dude. Like that is like I need me to a tea. Oh, and then my, so my family is fantastic. They're like, they're like, I just understand you sometimes. <laughs> 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 On one hand, you're like super professional. On the other hand, you, you say things like La Jolla. <laughs> Side note is actually La Jolla for the audience. We were talking about a, yeah. like a, an area of San Diego, I guess. And um, Sam and I were talking. And she's like, "What's La Jolla?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how do you spell that? <laughs> oh, it's La Jolla. <laughs> like, so funny. Anyways, <laughs> so let's take things a bit, uh, a step further. How can people put themselves out there? Um, and like, especially with entrepreneurs and small business owners, it's really important for them to be interacting with their potential customers or clients yeah. and promoting themselves and sharing their craft with the world. So do you have any strategies on how you can put yourself out there while staying true and authentic to yourself like make not making sure it's not forced but still putting so in the work. This, I'm just going to reiterate um, just to make sure I'm going to answer the right thing so being putting yourself out there in a business sense to potential clients or that kind of thing is that is and a strategy strategies for doing that is that right yeah totally like cool. okay. but staying um, like being staying authentic to yourself yeah, yeah. I think um one of the the things that I'm valuing so much right now in my business and in my life is is being authentic and just being super real. The world is craving people who are just real and authentic and raw, and people resonate with that. You know, people resonate with that. And there's this, you know, there's this notion that you got to put a show on, and I think it's so it's so not like that at all. And the this most 
solid business relationships I've had is when I've just been vulnerable and asked for help. And asking for help in business can be scary sometimes. Yeah. Like being like, you know what? I don't know how to do this. And I have no idea how to get there or I don't know anyone who knows how to do this or whatever it is. Um, but that is one of our, like we don't, we don't utilize the art of asking for help as much as we should. And the times that I've just been like, you know what? Can you help me with this? I have no idea what I'm doing. I like, I'm a brand new small business owner. Um, people love to help. And especially like entrepreneurs who like, you know, been around the block a few times, they have a lot of awesome insight, but because most of the time we're so shit scared to ask for help and we want to make it seem like we have our shit together all the time. Yeah. We don't do it. And, um, I think we're like leaving so much on the table by not reaching out to people. Um, you know, me and my friends call it the chicken list, like the list of people that you really want to get to know, or you really want to like, you know, pick their brain or whatever it is, like not reaching out to that chicken list. I think you're leaving a lot on the table because so often people are like, Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. You asked me, um, asked me this question. Like I've got some great insight on this and I would love to help you. Like that generally is the response I get when I put myself out there and, and ask or like or even like can I can I interview you or can I take you for coffee or like yes yeah. a lot of the time people are gonna say no because they're just too damn busy but a lot of the times people will respond back and be like you know what I'm I don't have time for coffee but why don't we do a quick phone call and um I think we, we underestimate how willing people actually are to help us in the business world so my biggest piece of advice is just just ask for help and I know recently and you spoke about this uh when I was down in LA two weeks two weeks ago last week Um, And I said, ask for something like you've already, you already have it. So ask the question. And when when you do that, it's like this level of like confidence and like assuredness that like, I've already got this. So I'm just going to ask it like I already have it. So I do with my mom all the time. Like, Hey mom, um, (laughs) can you make that? Can you make me that really awesome dinner? No, honestly, um, but like in in business, it, it like is a really, really great tool. And it just gives you a little bit, it gives you like that boost of self confidence and that boost of like oh like I've got this so yeah yeah that would be that's that's my tips I love that no I, love that. I like that's the best piece of advice I've received I think like this year <laughs> from you. but uh yeah like on that note it's just funny like I just um had a flashback when you were talking about that to just like being afraid to reach out and ask people for help or ask them for an interview or ask them to assist or for their advice and stuff and it's amazing like people innately want to help each other like that's the whole point of building community and having a society and being warm and like people naturally want to help it's just a lot of times like you need to reach out and ask for that help in order to attract them to like whatever assistance that you need right so the funniest thing is that like worst case scenario they like say you're emailing somebody and want to like go for lunch with them or something like worst case scenario either they don't get the email or they don't respond or they say no but either way, like, you're still going to have that definity to it. Um, and it just, like, always makes me think about how there's, like, a quote. It's, like, you miss, like, 100% of the shots that you never take, right? Like, you, putting yourself out there is so essential in order to, I don't know, yeah. progress in life, I would say. It's true. And it's, like, it's, it's, it's really scary. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's scary. Like, 
I get scared all the time um, with putting myself out there. Um, but it's it's what makes it worth it is like when you get that phone call or you get that email being like, yeah, I will do this for you or I will I will support your mission or I'll, I will connect you with the right person. And you're like, thank God I did that because if I didn't do that, this opportunity would have never presented itself if yeah. I didn't take that first step. And I'm not going to say it's easy at all. I'll never say it's easy because it's not easy. And like, um, like I said, you could, you can practice that vulnerability muscle, like till you're blue in the face, but it's still not going to be easy. It's still going to be a bit of a, like, take a breath, like take a deep breath. And you know, you'll need that courage. Um, you'll need that courage. Of course you will. Like I still like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still so new in my like entrepreneurial journey and it's still, it's still difficult for me, but it's never not going to be difficult. It's still going to be like, okay, this is going to take a bit of courage, but it becomes more comfortable. Um, yeah. It becomes more yeah. like a routine. So I don't even just know. Keep, I don't even just know. keep doing it. I was just going to say, like, I don't even know if it does become more comfortable. Oh my gosh. Sorry, we're getting feedback here. But the whole point of like being vulnerable is kind of like, it's almost like inherent that you have to be uncomfortable. So I don't know if you necessarily become like, in. In, like continuing to do your be vulnerable is going to make you more comfortable with it. I think you're just able to like expand what your comfort zone is, but that's, you're still going to it. just be pushing like your vulnerability and just what you're able to do. Like you can't yes. as cheesy as it sounds, it's like you can't spell vulnerability without ability. Right. And so you're just pushing Absolutely. your abilities further and further. Um, and it's always going to be uncomfortable, but I try and think um, like with the life coach that I work with, she once told me, like, when you're feeling uncomfortable, instead of just being like, oh, this is, like, hurting, I don't want to do it, like, take a step back and be like, okay, why am I feeling uncomfortable? Like, is this a good thing? Is this, like, a good sign that I'm doing something that's going to help to progress me and, like, what my goals are, right? And oftentimes, like, 99% of the time, it's a yes. And so it makes it a lot easier to actually, like, press start or whatever you want to call it and take that step to make it happen. Um, they- Another thing that I do constantly is ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, like, totally. Like, what's the absolute worst that could happen? And if you're not going to die and no one else is in danger, then I would suggest just do it. Because yeah. there's, like, you're not going to get sick. You're not going to die. You're not going to lose your best friend. You're, you know, like, there's nothing that's really going to be that. Yes, your ego might take, like, a slight little kick in the head, um, and you might get a you know, you might feel a little bit rejected, but so like, like we will get over those things. Like they're all the things that are, can easily be overcome. So yeah. And our bodies have yeah. this amazing ability to kind of forget pain, I would say, yeah. which is why like women will have kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then exactly. be like, Oh, it's so beautiful. Like I just had this, like a child and I want to have another one, even yeah. though it's like the most excruciatingly painful thing that you'll like ever experience. Or you bikini wax. that too that too the full one yeah sorry that was like the first thing that popped into my head when you said that (laughs) (laughs) screw having babies the bikini wax it's killer that's the worst thing it's the worst thing (laughs) (laughs) all right so I just have a couple more questions for you um I know like people like Gabrielle Bernstein and uh Marianne Williamson's and like even Oprah talk a lot about their like the ego and how it's important to like be cognizant of it, but also try and like detach yourself from your ego, which we've talked a lot about today. But do you have any strategies on how you can like combat what your ego is telling you? 
the ego is like such a beast. I feel I like you're in order to develop your personal growth and be on a personal spiritual and conscious journey, I think calming our ego is one of the hardest things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nothing, you know, your ego is like nothing great and fulfilling and joyful and blissful comes from fueling your ego and a lot of I, I mean like for instance let's go back to like a, a, a social media thing we're at like this really awesome party we pop a photo on it gets a whole bunch of likes and they're like oh god look how cool they are maybe in the moment we're like ah, oh, sweet like I feel super rad and that's just the ego talking and then you know 15 minutes later we're we're, we need another boost. You know, the ego needs another boost. Yeah. It needs something to, to kind of like make it like fuel it up again and like pump it up again. And it's really destructive. And we need to learn how to how to obtain that like joyful, happy mood without reaching for our, for the for ego and, and making it, you know, dropping it from your head to your heart and figuring out what fuels our heart because that is, that is more constant. That is more, um, we can rely on that more. And it is a feeling that we can, if we, you know, if we learn, if we do it right, it's a feeling that, that we can always carry with us. We don't need that external gratification, that external, um, um, like validation, I should say from, from anyone else. It's all within us. And, I talk about this quite a lot, but having pillars in your life. So having things in your life that are constant and they are constant pillars of happiness and a source of happiness. And that doesn't come from, you know, likes on Facebook. That doesn't come from um, a new car or a whatever, whatever it is that you think it comes from. That is the, that is the ego. Um, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, I, I feel like the ego is all about instant gratification where the heart is like long-term gratification, oh, right? Sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. And it's sometimes it's hard to differentiate yeah. between the two. You're like, is this my ego talking or is this is this my heart requesting and talking? And it's not it's not easy and um I do it all the time. I'm like, okay, is this what my heart wants or is this what my ego wants? And trying to step away and get away from your ego, um, is, is a constant, it's, it's a constant practice. Um, but the more we like, like anything, the more we practice it, the more we realize that what's, what's the difference. My is this my heart or is this my ego? So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I like, one of the things that I was reading recently and I just like, didn't even think about it, but like heart in French or in Latin, it's like core, right. And it comes from like the core, like your core being. So yeah. following that is going to be aligned with what your like core values are, your core desires, and just as opposed to thinking all the time with your head. So that's cool, and it's that's kind of like, cool. and it's kind of messed up too because like a lot of times, like the way that society is set up is that we very much so value people that are like logical decision makers, right? That are thinking with their heads as opposed to their hearts. And so again, I think it's going to be one of those things that's like going to shift with our generation just coming into power and having more leadership roles and that kind of thing, because you definitely can already see that on the horizon, just in the way that like we interact with each other, we speak our values, like how people a lot less so are valuing money as like the overall end um, yeah. whereas nowadays, like for me personally, I'm like, oh, well money is just like a means to an end. And the end is just like freedom and happiness and like being able to mm-hmm. do what I want. So 
Anyways, um, this is, I guess we are out of time. So I just have one more question for you, Sam, um, that I ask all of our uh, interviewees. So that is, um, what is your number one tip for others on how they can be more love note worthy in their business and lives? Interesting. Okay. Um, I would say doing business from your heart and connecting with other hearts. Um, a lot of times when people are in business, they think of a client as a number, a head, a bum in a seat, whatever that is. And as business owners, we really need to drop from our heads to our hearts and connect with people on an emotional level and serve them on an emotional level and really pay attention to what they need, um, what they, what they want, what they crave, what they desire. And if you have something that you offer that will, you know, fulfill what they're looking for, that is what kind of makes a match in heaven. Um, a lot of the time, a lot of times business owners are, um, extremely, um, money driven and that is their motive for being a, an entrepreneur. And again, there, it's that, that note that is shifting, it's shifting. And it's the, the most successful people I know. Um, and I, I use success in a, not in a money way. I use success in a, you were just glowing with, you know, you were just like radiating. Yeah. Awesomeness. On life. yeah. Um, yeah. The most successful business owners I know are the ones who truly are like extremely passionate about the services they offer. They're extremely passionate about filling needs of other people. And they're extremely passionate about empowering other people and not just in a life coaching business, but this can translate to any business. So if you're a designer, if you're, you know, a branding strategist, if you are an accountant, if you are a realtor, if you, it doesn't matter what business you're in, it's the same theory and it's the same underlining principles that translate into what you do. So what you do is redundant. It doesn't really matter. It's a bit redundant. It's, it's about how you do it. And, um, I, I think when you emotionally connect, it's, it, it just opens up this whole new, beautiful relationship. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. I love it. Oh, well, thank you so much thank for so much. being on the show. And I'm apologize that we've been having some, um, technical difficulties with this interview, but hopefully in post-production, we can make it sound a lot better. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I said, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for being on the love noteworthy show. And, um, as we do with all of the interviews, I have a challenge for our audience. So the challenge today is in the comments below, tell us one step that you're going to take to shift your insecurities into vulnerabilities in either your business or your life. So with that, thank you, Sam. Um, everybody check her out. We'll be putting her contact info uh, below. And I mean, you specialize in disordered eating, but do you also take on other clients for doing general life coaching for like health and wellness? I do. I do as well. I mean, I, um, a lot of, I have a lot of overseas clients that we kind of do, uh, accountability check-ins. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't focus at all on diet plans. So if you want to diet plan, I'm not your girl, but I will, that I can definitely do, uh, um, health and wellness coaching from a, um, you know, a life coaching point of view. So yeah. Awesome. Well, check out Sam, uh, her website, samathaskelly.com. Again, we'll put all the links down, but she has an amazing blog. They're really raw and real and vulnerable, which is what I love so much about her. 
Um, Angie's super amazing, but <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening, guys, and have an amazing week, and we will see you very soon on the Love Note Worthy Show. Thank you.